if you are an entrepreneur, you can build a company and you can grow. But if you're, if the premise of your business is that you can have growth quarter after quarter, year after year at an infinite scale, that is not true. We have mm. clearly run out of planet. <laughs> right. And so your metric of success should not be growth. It should be sustainability. Mm. What is the longevity of what you're creating? Not how much can you maximize growth in order to get more than you need. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley in partnership with Leumitech, sponsored by Homeward Ventures, Hippo Insurance, Opus Labs, Synergy Global, Hillel at Stanford, Leap, Birthright Excel, Serona Partners, and in media partnership with C-Tech. Hello and welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Meet Minal Bapaya, founder and principal consultant at Brevity and Wit. Minal is the author of Equity, How to Design Organizations Where Everyone Thrives. She's the founder of Brevity and Wit, a strategy and design firm that combines human-centered design, behavior change science, and the principles of inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility to help organizations transform themselves and the world. Bopaya has written for the Stanford Social Innovation Review and The Hill, and has been a featured guest on numerous podcasts and shows, including The Kojun Madi Show on Wamu. She has also been a keynote speaker for many conferences, inspiring thousands with her credible, authentic, and engaging talks. Minil Bopaya, welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me, Michael. It's really a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure having you here. Where are you calling from in the world right now? So I am in the greater D.C. area in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland, which is right outside D.C. I love it. So, Mino, so many different experiences, so many things for us to talk about. Uh, but I'd love to concentrate on your most recent efforts uh, with, with a book that, you're, that was recently published in September talking about equity. And obviously, this is a topic of conversation in the last uh, few years, mainly in this last year or two, I believe, that's becoming really, really mainstream. Uh, but your work, you know, is, is interesting all around and with brevity and wit. And so I'd love to learn a little bit about you and then we'll dive into equity, what that means to you, why you're, you know, why you decided to dedicate so much of your time into this and what we're seeing, you know, in the greater trend about the world. So Minel, who are you? Sure. So I am the author of Equity, How to Design Organizations Where Everyone Thrives, which has been published by Barrett Kohler. I am also the founder and principal at Brevity and Wit, which is a strategy and design firm that combines human-centered design, behavior change science, and the principles of inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility to help organizations transform themselves and the world. Okay, so I heard <laughs> a lot of really interesting things here. No, let's let's dig deep into this. What sure. is, you know, where is the human-centered design and, you know, the behavioral science, where, where, how did those come into play when we're talking about the question of equity and diversity in the workplace? Yeah. So um, there's a fundamental truth that we have to acknowledge that um, the system isn't broken. It is actually working exactly the way it was designed to work. So, uh, you know, it, most systems of oppression have been designed to privilege some at the expense of others. Uh, in mm -hmm. the United States, that is primarily centered around race and gender and um, 
sexuality and disability status, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about being able to create a more equitable world, we have to start with designing more equitable systems that really gives everyone a fair shot at opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so this distinction of, you know, it's not that the system is broken, it was, mm -hmm. it's working as it was designed. Why is this an important distinction in your mind that we sort yeah. of converge on? I think there's a basic assumption or myth that the world is somehow neutral and that the results that we have are somehow the um, natural outcome of just people's efforts and mm. that, you know, we're all working in some sort of neutral system. And that's not true. We like to perpetuate this myth, particularly in the entrepreneurial circles, uh, that hard work equals success. Now, it's not that hard work isn't important, but that equation is not the complete equation. The actual equation is hard work plus system support equals success. And that we have done a very good job about talking about the virtue of hard work, but we have done a very poor job of unmasking how the system is supporting certain individuals. So for example, of the Fortune 500, 70% of the CEOs have a spouse that does not work outside the home. Hmm. It is almost impossible to be a CEO if you are not married, like, and particularly have a family, if you are not married to someone who is going to pick up all of that labor at, the, at home for free. Right. That, that makes intuitive sense as well. Right. And so then when we talk about why aren't there women CEOs or why aren't there um, more CEOs of color, the question is how many of those people have somebody who lives with them full time who, who is going to pick up the slack? Right. How many women have a husband like I do who did all of the housework while I wrote my book? Right. Right. right? And so obviously we, that's not proportional. Yeah. yeah. And so if we don't have that support, then we can't ascend to these places of power and success. And so the fact is, it's not that we're not working hard enough. It's that the system has not been designed with us in mind. As you're now looking at the world, what does it take to design a system that has this in mind. What are what are some you know you know either you know very pragmatic or theoretical steps that we need to take into account as we're aiming for obviously that type of world. So we want to think about um, who has this organization been designed for in the past, mm -hmm. and how relevant is that today? And then how do we center some of the people who have been pushed to the margins in our redesign? Right. So for example, most organizations, like I said. Um, have been designed for straight white men in mind in like the mm -hmm. 1950s, right? Where they could right. commute to work, where they had a spouse who was picking up all of the emotional and cognitive labor of the home, um, where they could, one income could send your kids to college and buy you a house and allow you to save for retirement. Right. That does not exist for most people, including right. the majority of straight white men. So right. what if we were to put a different identity um, at the center of our organizations? What if we were to design for single mothers, right? Right now, we have a legacy where if you go on a sales call, you can expense alcohol and drinks and entertainment as a viable business expense. Because back in the days, in like Mad Men era, that was what you needed to do to close an account, right? <laughs> right. But if you're, if you're a single mother, 
your most critical need to being able to close that deal is childcare. So why is it that we cannot expense childcare that's needed to make a sales call, but we can expense alcohol? Right, right, right. Right? And so, so we would redesign not only like the nature of work, but the nature of business and what are viable expenses and what's actually considered an expense versus an asset and an investment. Right. And I think that what you're touching on here and, you know, extrapolating through that example, obviously, by now allowing more people uh, and you know, whether it's gender or different uh, minority groups to, to own these positions, then you're actually mm-hmm. able to have more qualified people, you know, in your business, making your business more profitable. And it's not just good for those people that that are able to hold these positions, but ultimately it's better for the companies because obviously also we're seeing we're seeing you know what's happening with talent and and um, and it sounds like beyond just the regulatory aspect of it and beyond just the the theoretical really mm-hmm. nice idea of equity, it's actually good for business as well. This is a win win for everybody. This the, these yeah, changes well, of because opinions. diversity drives innovation because on the flip right. side of that equation, your customer segment is also diverse. Yes. Yes. Right. And so you cannot just have the same people designing for, for experiences that they don't even understand. Right. I would love it if Netflix would create a filter where I could say that I don't want to see any recommendations that have rape in them. Right. It would probably get rid of about 90% of content. <laughs> but nevertheless, I would use that filter every day. And whenever I have pitched this idea, every other woman in the room is like, yeah, I would use that filter every day too. But if you don't have women as coders who are running these algorithms, then you don't have that idea in your company. Right. Right. Now, as I go on my own entrepreneurial journey or any of my friends that are starting companies, what are some really key things to keep in mind strategically or tangibly as we, as we run our company to make sure that we do have this diversity and equity? So... Um, well, it depends how how much do you want to blow people's minds? Like how radical do you want to get with this? Cuz um how honestly, radical do you think we need to get? I think we need to get to the point where we realize that infinite growth is a myth. Okay. If you are an entrepreneur, you can build a company and you can grow, but if you're if the premise of your business is that you can have growth quarter after quarter, year after year, at an infinite scale, that is not true. We have mm. clearly run out of planet. <laughs> right. And so your metric of success should not be growth. It should be sustainability. Mm. What is the longevity of what you're creating? Not how much can you maximize growth in order to get more than you need. So the difference between, so we talk in the book about power and that there are supremacist approaches to power and liberatory approaches to power. Supremacist approaches to power are fundamentally about taking more than what one needs. Liberatory approaches to power are about using our power to connect and heal and repair our society, to embrace differences, which means that not every company and not every product has to be for every person. That if you're able to say, if you're able to really target and be like, this is the type of individual that we're designing for. And I would say that that shouldn't be based on demographics, but rather psychographics. 
right? That we're we're designing for single mothers or single parents, or we're designing for um, couples who don't have children, or we're designing a streaming service with women and non-binary people in mind and how would they want to view content or how would they want to play a video game, right? And so by diversifying, by segmenting out and then building for those sort of specialized segments, that will drive innovation. And then like disability. So text messaging was created for the deaf and hard of hearing, but now we all use it. <laughs> Audiobooks were created for the blind and now we all use it. So actually wow. for designing for those segments in mind, when they are the center of your uh, customer segment, you will probably fall upon an innovation that serves a gr greater population. But you need to stay true to that segment and not sell them out in, in order to have more profits and money. Where is your passion in this? Where, you know, where is the passion coming from? You know, in, to the point where you're sitting down and you're writing a book about this and you're dedicating so much thought and energy into this topic. You yeah. know, an uphill battle that is really changing culture, changing the way people think, changing the way, you know, what today we, you know, in the, just in this conversation, we already got to layers talking about how businesses should be even measured. I mean, we're talking about pretty dramatic changes to, to, this, to these ecosystems. Well, where is this passion coming from? Um, I mean, I think I always, you know, I grew up on Staten Island, which is a very weird place to grow up as like a smart, you know, dark skinned girl. Um, and that was pretty sensitive. And it's a, it's a pretty aggressive place. I mean, I describe Staten Island as all of the aggression of New York with none of the arts and culture. And so I just had a real early sense that the world was not rooting for me. And as a, as someone who loved being a writer, I was always trying to look for the words to express what I was feeling viscerally, for which there isn't a lot of language around. Um, but then I also have a degree in psychology, and so I have that ability to go deep very fast. Um, and so it wasn't just about self-expression, it's about understanding the root causes of that experience. Mm -hmm. And the root causes of that experience is how our system is designed and, and what we hold to be true, what we the assumptions that we make that we think are unquestionable, such as infinite growth and scale, right? right? And really being able to, being willing and brave enough to look at those things and question, are those things really true? Are those really in our best interest? You know, who benefits from us believing that and who doesn't benefit from us believing that? Take me back, middle school, elementary school, Staten Island, you mentioned writing. Mm -hmm. Today, you know, it's thinking critically about the world and about businesses and culture. Where, where's your curiosity and fascination as you're simply roaming the earth, you know, as a, as a middle school or elementary school? Oh, God. I don't, I don't know if I want to flash back to those years. But, <laughs> um, I mean, it was just me trying to make sense of the world, right? Like, I, I was... Um, you know, my generation of Indians is often like the second gen of our parents who were immigrants. Um, and I was the eldest in my family. So there was also this sense of like having to figure it out for the rest of the family. Um, and, you know, um, and I think it, it, if I had to do it over again, I, you know, I majored in English in college and then I got a degree in clinical psychology. 
I think if I had to do it over again, I probably would have gone into anthropology because my mentor is, wow. an, is an anthropologist and she, that's the lens she even brings to organizational DEI work, right? Which is, you know, anybody who studies anthropology, it's not just studying the human experience, but how human beings organize themselves. So sure. how does power show up here? You know, who's included, who's excluded? Um, how are values like justice and equality enshrined or acted upon in this, like, sort of organizing of humans, whether that's an organization itself or a society, right? So I think mm -hmm. that's sort of the lens that I bring to a lot of this work. I love it. And if I were to ask people around you, you know, how would you describe mental? <laughs> what are a few words that they would use in your mind? Uh, authentic would probably be the top of the list. Um, I think for the people who really know me, brave. And I think the um, people who have experienced me in a professional capacity, probably brilliant. I love it. Those are great choices. Minal, thank you very, very much. I appreciate you. I appreciate your work. Um, this conversation, I think, is a conversation you know needs to be spoken, heard, and 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 mainly thought about, you know, and and having these conversations, you know, really rigorously, uh, because I think that there is a gen, obviously, a consensus of the importance of what we're talking about, and now I think that the real question is the implementation, and what do, what actually, what actually do we need to do to move the needle so that maybe not in this generation, but in the next generation, and the one that you know, you know, as we're approaching, you know, uh, the the new generation of of entrepreneurs and companies. How do we fix the culture from the get-go and not try to go and change the ones that have already disrupted it from the ground up? So thank you for the time and energy, and I really appreciate it. And stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you. Thank you.